0: Good morning. It's good to see you folks. Glad you've joined us today. Welcome to joining us online, wherever you are watching or listening. I hope that you will, um, I hope you'll engage. Um, I hope that you'll do what it takes to kind of uh, pull your brain and your heart and your body into this experience, uh, wherever you are, whether you're at home. Or maybe you're out on vacation and you're tuning in. Uh, Tony Carlisle texted me this morning. He's driving his Harley Davidson across Kansas, pulling over so he can get a signal. And then he's gonna whoever thought you could go to church riding a Harley Davidson across Kansas. But Tony's gonna do that this morning. And to those of you who are here, it's so encouraging to see some of you I haven't seen for months. And I'm grateful that you've joined us together this morning. There is, there is, there's just not a replacement. Um, for being in, in, the, in the flesh. And I totally appreciate the online um, option. My goodness. Um, what a gift that's been to us. But, um, but there is a, there's a special privilege, and I hope you see it as a privilege, in being able to come together with other people. Um, whether, you know, in some sense, it doesn't matter if it's a baseball game or church, it's just going to feel so good to, to be with other people and, and be about the same thing. But it's especially good when we can come to church together. And, and I hope that we get reminded in this season, if nothing else, of the value and the privilege that exists in being to gather together for worship. And I hope that you engage in this time. May we do the work of the people. That's what liturgy means. May we do the work of the people. May we, may we engage in this um, let's not just sit back, but let's engage in this uh, the whole morning and let's leave maybe with a little bit of, uh, whew, you know, I, I put some effort into that because I was present and I engaged and I asked hard questions and I did the work. All right, so so glad that you're with us. The last four weeks we've been focused on big Bible themes. It's a series that we've been calling Changes and Chances. And the phrase Changes and Chances comes from an old bedtime prayer. It's a prayer for God's protection, It's a prayer that you pray when you're tired or when you're wearied, as the prayer says, by all the changes and chances of this life. It's a prayer for rest. What are we resting in? We're resting in the eternal unchanging or the changelessness, the eternal changelessness of God. Or we might say the stability of God. We might say the rock-solid, unchanging character of God. God is good. This is what we're resting in. God is faithful. This is what we're resting in. We can trust God. He's trustworthy. This is what we're resting in. So this is the prayer that we've prayed together for the last four weeks, this prayer, um, this bedtime prayer. So then last week I was meeting uh, with our staff, and we thought, man, this, we need to keep going a little bit farther with this series. And so um, we, we, I was thinking, what, what comes next <laughs> you know, what comes next? Our response to the changelessness of God is to hope. We sang last week, we sang this hymn, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we identified our real reason for hope, which is the, the stability of God. God is the why for the hope. God is the why. And then I gave three ingredients last week on how to be hopeful. So we were talking about this last week, thinking there's there's more here, but I wasn't really sure to be uh, completely candid, where we were going to go with it this week, which is rare for me because I'm a, a planner when it comes to the teaching. And I'm trying to figure out what comes after a bedtime prayer. <laughs> you know, that's like the end, right? What, what comes after a bedtime prayer? Hopefully some really good sleep, right? A good time of rest. And then maybe an early morning prayer. So as we continue this teaching series today, let's begin with this morning prayer. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me as we start. Let's pray this. Lord God... Almighty and everlasting Father, you have brought us in safety to this new day. Preserve us with your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. And in all we do, direct us to the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is, I think, fundamentally a prayer for the power to persevere. That's what this is a prayer for. This is a prayer for the grace to not be overcome by adversity, but to make it all the way through to the end, and not just make it, but to fulfill the purpose that God has for you and for me for this day, and ultimately for our lives. Today I want to teach on another big Bible theme, which is the theme of perseverance, all right, perseverance. But first I want to talk to you about our pop-up tent trailer. Like lots of folks in the last few months, we have been trying to make the most out of our space, right, because so much is happening in the home, at the house, so we've been cleaning the garage, and the time has come, yes, it has come to deal with the pop-up tent trailer, right, we haven't used it in years, and yet I find myself up against this feeling of resistance when I consider getting rid of this trailer, even though we need the space for other things, and here's why, it's because when the kids were little, and I mean like, 11 and 9 and 2, and here's some pictures on the screen. We drove across the country and back with this little Coleman pop-up tent trailer from the 90s and our minivan, and it was just such a great memory. I mean, just such sweet times together. And then a few years later, we went to Glacier National Forest, and we we spent like two weeks up in Glacier. There's Glacier. And this is one of our all-time favorite memories as a family. Um, This is right before high school started for Isaiah. And we just had this epic adventure in such a beautiful place. And it's just such a sweet memory for me. I can imagine the voices before they changed and some of the conversations that we had, as I remember uh, looking back on these pictures and just the the sweet kind of cozy bedtimes in that little teeny tent on wheels. Um. (laughs) Have you seen the show Hoarders? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't I haven't seen it but I know a hoarder is somebody who just collects tons of stuff and uh, many years ago I helped this family it was in another part of the country at another time in my life but I helped this family move out of a house and they were hoarders and there were two bedrooms that were like wall-to-wall floor-to-ceiling spilling into the Hallway couldn't even get in there, and it was not a pleasant experience. And uh, I keep a lot of things. I don't think I'm a hoarder. I like big open rooms. I don't cover up windows. But recently, I was listening to this great storyteller, Malcolm Gladwell, and he was talking about dragons and Andy Warhol and J.R.R. Tolkien. Malcolm is a great storyteller. He finds common threads in things that don't seem to be related, and then he weaves them all together in this beautiful story. And so I'm listening to this story called The Psychology of Dragons, which turns out to be The Psychology of Hoarding. And uh, what is suggested in this story is that one reason some people, I know there's probably a variety, but one reason some people keep crazy amounts of things is because they want to hold on to part of their life and this thing reminds them of part of their life. And so the idea of getting rid of this thing feels in some way like they're losing this part of their life, which is already fading from their memory, right? Which is already sort of um, moving to the to the way far like recesses of what they can eat. Even though it's irrational, they hold on to these things like rocks they picked up while they were visiting countries and other parts of the world, or drawings from their kids, or old high chairs where their kids, you know, ate, or their saddle that they've moved with since college, even though they haven't owned a horse for 30 years. Yes, this is autobiographical. Yeah, and you guessed it, pop-up trailers, right? I don't want to get rid of that pop-up trailer. And I don't think it's because I'm a hoarder, but if Malcolm Gladwell is right, and this is why some hoarders hoard, I can relate. That's what I'm saying. I can relate. Can you relate? You relate to that, right? I mean, here's the truth that some of us, I think, some of us with deep emotional attachments, and, and that's how I'd like to think of myself, is, is a man with deep emotional attachments. Um, it's, it's not that we have deep emotional attachments to things. It's that we have deep emotional attachments to the memories that are associated with the things, and sometimes we have unmet longings that are associated with the things, and so it almost feels like giving up to get rid of the thing, because I, I was going to I was going to do it one more time, right? I was, I was going to take that trailer out with the whole crew one more time. And we don't want to recognize, those of us with deep emotional attachments, we don't want to realize what we don't want to acknowledge is this, the impermanence of life. That's the gut-wrenching reality. That's what we don't want to face. The fact that some things in life fade away, other things change, and then there's parts of life that they just end. And then they're just done in Psalm 144 David writes people's lives don't last any longer than a breath and i don't like the way that feels i don't like that that's a hard truth for me it can be really deeply challenging for us to face our mortality and i don't just mean the fact that our bodies run out of energy and and ultimately die But it's about all the experiences in life that go away as well. It's the road trips and the baseball games and the birthday parties and the pancake breakfasts on a Saturday morning fading like vapor. They last no longer than a breath. I mean, that's tough for me. It's hard for me. Last week we talked about the biblical theme of hope. We talked about the main reason the Bible gives for hope. And then we talked about some ways to be hopeful what we're doing this morning is we're, we're taking this one step further, okay? One more step down the journey today. And the question that we're walking past right now on this journey is this question. How do you hold on to hope in the face of the impermanence of life? How do you hold on to hope in the face of the impermanence of life? How do you hold on to hope? How do you keep going? How do you persevere when baked right into the fabric of life is this inescapable reality that most things change and nearly everything comes to an end at some point? Johnny Cash did this cover of a Nine Inch Nails song. The year before he died, the song is called Hurt. And in the song he sings, everyone I know goes away in the end. And this is the reality. And the, the, the song didn't go anywhere with Nine Inch Nails, but it's one of the best-selling songs Cash ever had because he is singing this as an old man and he's facing this reality with such clear honesty and he's asking the question, Is there still reason to hope in the face of the hurt? Because that's what he's feeling. It's just a whole lot of hurt. What should he do? Does the hurt eradicate the hope? The kids move out, the business closes, and at some point you got to get rid of the pop-up tent trailer that's in your garage, right? Because even though it reminds you of your kids' wide-eyed wonder during a lightning storm in the badlands of South Dakota, right now it's just taking up space. (laughs) <laughs> and you need that space for something else, right? So when we're faced with the impermanence of so much in our life, I mean, do we quit or do we keep going? That's the question. That's the question. And the answer for the follower, or the follower of Jesus, it just pulses off the pages of Scripture. It just pulses, especially in the letters written by Christian leaders like Paul to the Christians in the early church who are being persecuted for their faith by the government. And the answer is this, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope hold on to hope. Keep persevering. Don't give up. Keep going. Don't give up. Endure. Make it to the end. The hope that brought you to God is the same hope that will get you to the end. So, don't let go of that. The actual word perseverance, it only shows up a few times in most English translations of the Bible, but the idea is all over the Bible the thought of continuing, holding on, holding fast, the idea of constancy, of consistency, persistence, keeping on, patient endurance. Sometimes it's translated devotion, determination. This is a theme. This is a major theme, especially in the Christian scriptures, uh, in the life of Jesus and following. It's like the next iteration of hope is to persevere. It's like early in the journey, you experience hope. It draws you to God. The next step, you experience all kinds of adversity. And then the question becomes... Do I give up because of that adversity or do I persevere? And That's the choice that we have to make. And it sounds like to me, and and now I'm I'm a couple or three decades into this journey, I'm seeing this all over the place. The choice just continues to confront me. Do I give up or do I keep going? Do I hold on or do I stop hoping because of the hurt? It's a question that some of us have asked more than a few times in the last five or six months of life. As we face not just one kind of adversity, but several kinds of adversity, and the adversity has been layered and it's been complicated. And some of our parts, some of the parts of our life have been canceled, other parts just been just sort of shadowed with this dark adversity, this intense adversity that we, we're not exactly sure in some cases how to navigate. Um, and uh, we just, some of us just feel like quitting, right? The conflict in our families or in other places becomes so intense, we just feel like quitting. The, the phrase I keep hearing is, I'm done. Jesus teaches his followers a story when they're done. In chapter 17 of Luke's gospel, things are so bad, the chaos and the craziness is so intense that the disciples are talking to Jesus about when the world's going to end. They think it's going to end. And Jesus is telling them, these are the signs about when it's going to end. And he must sense in them that they are running out of gas. They're considering quitting. And so he tells this story at the beginning of Luke 18. It's just eight verses. And this is how Luke rolls it out. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Isn't this fantastic? I love this. Here's a parable of Jesus, which is a short story, often with a twist at the end, in order to make a specific point. Jesus teaches with parables all the time. Here's the thing. You almost never know what they're about. They're so strange in some cases that there's all kinds of like, what does he mean by this? The disciples are like, why do you teach us with these crazy stories? We don't understand them half of the time. But here, Luke kicks the story off by telling us the point of the story Aren't you glad? I am. Why did he tell this story? Because his disciples wanted to quit. And he's telling them, here's a story. The reason I'm going to tell you the story is so you don't give up. I think this is fantastic. Some translations say so they won't lose heart. Here's the story. Jesus said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Is this a good guy or a bad guy? He's a bad guy. Okay, he's a bad guy. The character's a bad character. What's the, what is the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Love God, love people, right? This guy does neither of those two things, okay? He is a, the definition of a bad dude. And verse 3, there's a widow. And a widow in Jesus' day represents need, right? No power, no authority. She is in stark contrast to the judge who has all kinds of power, all kinds of authority. So there was a widow, verse 3, and in that town, and she kept coming to the judge with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice against my adversary. Grant me justice. She kept coming. Jesus continues his story. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because of this widow, because she keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Okay, so this is intended to be funny. The disciples would have laughed at this point. Jesus is exaggerating the the response. He's kind of being silly. This keep coming verb is the same like, so she doesn't keep beating on my door and then beating on me as she kind of comes through the door. It's, It's funny. And then the Lord said, verse 6, now he's explaining to his disciples, and he says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Okay, what did the unjust judge say? The unjust judge said, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I will see that she gets justice. And then Jesus continues in verse 7, and will not God bring justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And then here comes the twist at the end. However, Jesus says, when the Son of Man, referring to himself, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? (laughs) Okay. So in other words, the question really isn't, will God give justice? The question is, "Will, will you give up before justice comes? That's the real question. That's the stinger at the end. That's the twist. That's the like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. So three things Jesus is doing in this little story, this parable. First, he sets up the story with this unjust judge. He neither fears God nor respects people. But in the end, he still brings justice for the widow. Secondly, Jesus contrasts the unjust judge. Don't make the mistake. The judge is not God in this story. The judge is being, he's a contrast to God. The judge is unjust. The second thing Jesus does is he says, God is a good father, right? He is merciful. You can trust him, right? Of course, God, how much more will God bring justice for his children who persistently ask? And then, finally... Having assured his disciples that God sees the adversity, he knows their trouble, Jesus now puts the question to them. And the question is not about whether or not God's going to make things right. The real question is, will you persevere? Because remember, they thought they were, were kind of thinking about giving up. Right? They felt like giving up. They felt like they were done. So if you study this theme of perseverance through the Bible, you find a whole lot of passages that address perseverance. And basically the perseverance theme breaks down into two sub-themes. One, is the, one of the sub-themes is the assurance that God will never give up. God will persevere. He will never give up. He will be with you. He will strengthen you to the very end. You can count on that. And the second big sub-theme, the other sub-theme on the, on the big theme of perseverance is So don't you ever give up. Don't you ever quit. Jesus says, continue to hold on to my teachings. Continue to hold on to my teachings. So last week we said God is our reason for hope. This week we're saying, and that reason is never going to quit. Therefore, the imperative is, don't you quit. When adversity comes, hold on to hope. Okay, hold on to hope. Had a conversation with Rich, our executive pastor this week about this topic, and he had this powerful and practical insight. I want to share it with you. If the question is, should I keep going or should I quit, then the answer is probably not keep going in every case. right? The the answer is probably, well, it depends. Should I keep going or should I quit? Probably it depends. And here was his insight. The reason that you keep going is related to the reason that you started in the beginning. It's related. The reason that you should keep going or not is related to the reason that you you started with. It's so important when adversity comes to know your reason for whatever it is that you're doing, to identify your why. In other words, the call in the Bible is not, friends, it's not to stubbornly persevere in everything you do no matter what. Some of us are doing things we should stop doing. We We should stop doing. Because the reason that we started doing them in the first place was not a good reason. It was, it was about self-promotion when we started. Or it was uh, all driven by fear from the start. Or, you know, it was about resentment at the outset. Some, it, sometimes adversity brings this much-needed clarity, and we realize the reason we started this project in the beginning was not a good reason. And, and so in that case, you should, you should keep going because in that case, you should keep going. In ca- <laughs> Well, I think I'm arguing against myself in my notes. (laughs) You shouldn't keep going. Because what got you into this in the first place was not a good reason, right? So we're talking about um, the context of this, which is our work. If the reason that we started this church was to be the biggest and the coolest church, the adversity that we faced years ago would have caused us to quit. Because that wouldn't have been a good reason to start. It certainly wouldn't have held any water. It wouldn't have been a good reason to continue. We started in May as to be a transformational community of compassion. We want to be all about these things. Discovering Jesus, sharing life, restoring all things. Lots of adversity has happened. And just in recent months, some of the adversity has caused great changes. Can't have kids' classes anymore. We used to have a lot of food out there in the cafe. It was this beautiful hospitable kind of feel. We can't even gather everybody together in the room because seats are all spread out. And there have been days when this kind of adversity, and frankly, much deeper, much more severe, much worse kinds of adversity than the food in the cafe, have made me wrestle with this question man, should we give up or do we keep going? But here's the thing the why has not changed, the reason has not changed. Food in the cafe has changed, but the reason we put food in the cafe in the beginning has not changed, right? So we got to figure out the new expression. We're still here for the restoration of all things. And now it just looks different, okay? But the reason is still the same. So now restoration of all things, at least in the recent months, it looks like supporting local restaurants to try to help people keep their jobs. It looks like offering free tutoring through the youth center. In a few weeks, we're going to start a conversation about race race and justice On Sunday nights, right? So these are the new kind of expressions of the same reason that we started with a while ago, uh, which is the restoration of all things. We started with the hope for restoration, and what's keeping us going is that same hope. It's the hope for the restoration of all things. Ultimately, we started this journey because of God, and God is a really good reason to keep going, right? What God is here is going to enable us to keep going. The form has changed. The, the reason, the essence has not changed. So we will persevere. We'll hold on to the same hope that we had in the beginning because even though things are challenging, according to like what Paul says, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. But we still believe. So we can keep going because of what God is here. We place our hope in Jesus. Jesus is a solid hope. We should hold on to hope in him. <clears throat> what about you? What's your situation? What's your challenge? What's your hurt? If the adversity you're facing has revealed that the reason you started is not a good enough reason to continue, maybe maybe you should let it go. Maybe you should talk to somebody else that you trust about letting some things go cuz life's short. But if the adversity that you're facing is making it just that much clearer, that even though things are difficult and they look hard, at the core, at the essence, what you're trying to do here is essentially a good thing, if in the beginning you placed your hope in God, then continue to hold on to that hope and persevere in that hope. Find the essential reason why. It's going to look different now. But find the essential reason, the, the core um, for why you're doing what you're doing and persevere in that. In other words, you didn't start the business to have a great business. You started the business to take care of your family. Am I right? So that's the essence. Hold on to that. The biz- that's just details, right? The rest is details. Identify the core and hold on to that. By the end of the day, friends, I'm tired. I'm wearied by all the changes and the chances of the day. I'm ready for bed. I'm usually the first one to go to bed in my house. Sometimes I feel beat down. Sometimes I feel like I'm done. I am not parenting at my A game right before bed. That's just the way that comes out. But in the morning, when I realize that some of the things that I was really stressed out about the night before, they're just really not that big of a deal. And I realize that God has given me life for another day. Right? He has brought me in safety to another day. I still have and I, I get that spark of I still believe in this. This still matters. I'm reminded God's call for some things continues, so I need to persevere. I need to hold on to hope. Jesus tells the parable of the persistent widow to his disciples to encourage them not to give up. And Paul addresses this need all throughout his letters. Let me end with one quote from Paul. Romans 13, this is what he writes, the end of his book to the Christians in Rome. Romans is addressed to the Christians in Rome. Talk about a tough assignment. Be a Christian in Rome. And do this, Paul writes. Understand the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now that's Paul, and that's 2,000 years old, and it's a little thick, isn't it? To, to, to wrap up, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read a paraphrase of this passage by Eugene Peterson, kind of street-level modern language. Just close your eyes and, and let this be a blessing to your heart. Make sure you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when you first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute we must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed. Get dressed. Don't, don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. Be up. Be about. May God give us the grace to persevere. May God give us the grace to hold on to hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.